about it, whether you're well. Thanks, Andy. Continuing with our theme of uh, arena DNA, and uh, this morning I want to look at a particular subject called uh, mercy. Thanks, Dave. But before I open it up, just to say that Tuesday was exceptional. Um, the, for those who were here on the vision night, um, so many people um, brought food. And thanks to Julie for flagging that up again because that is not a one-off. We are going to continue to just give food. At the moment, it is still sat in my office, but it is not going to be there for very long because Tracy and a team of others are going to be uh, working that through and, and getting the food out. And just to say that you may feel like, well, what can I do? Well, you can be a need identifier. Sounds a grand title. But if you are aware of people in your community, in your neighborhood, who are short of food, then you must let us know. But we don't just want you to let us know. We also want you to be the person that actually brings blessing to that family. So we will give you a package to be able to go and bless that family in Jesus' name. It was also good on Tuesday night to gather together. Just an awesome number that turned out. I do apologize for all those who only got one slice of pizza. Uh, the fact is we were taken away really by how many people actually came out. So we do apologize. The promise of the feast never actually arrived food-wise. However, I do hope that there was a feast of God's presence there on Tuesday night. And there were many people who were touched by God. It was great to see people, you know, receiving the Spirit. It was great to hear of people who'd received prophetic words for, from that night. And that is what we're all about. We're not just about feeding the stomach, although we want to do that. We also want to feed the soul. And that brings me on to this point of arena DNA and mercy, because there has been a metamorphosis. There has been a transformation. There has been a cultural change that has needed to take place in the church at large. Not just this church, but the church at large. You may say, what are you on about, Christian? Well, the reality is, for the last 30 years or so that I've been in a Pentecostal church, we, were more con we concentrated more on a man's soul than we did on feeding the stomach of a man. And um, I actually believe, don't misinterpret my words, I actually believe it's important that we, that we touch men's soul, women's souls, because that is the... That is the very thing that we'll, we'll go into eternity with. And uh, eternity is a very long time. And so we are very passionate about calling men and women to uh, commitment to Jesus Christ and, and uh, have an assurance of salvation. But we haven't been particularly good over the years of actually taking care of the poor and the needy. We've left that to the Salvation Army. We've left that to the new church. We've left that to the established, we've left it to parachurch organizations like Christian Aid and, you know, all kinds of different organizations that escape my memory. And uh, there has been a transformation, there has been a cultural change, and we are part of that. And so part of our heart here at Arena is that we will take care of those who are less fortunate than we are. We will give of our resource, our heartbeat sets, our battle plan sets. And uh, we will bless others, and in particular those who are in great, in great need. Now, I want to be absolutely clear this, this morning, because we can't ignore this thought of mercy, because, as, because God 
has been absolutely clear throughout the ages what he requires of his people. And I just want you to turn in your Bibles, please, for a moment to Micah and chapter 6 and verse 8. There's been a little bit of a renaissance around this particular verse over the last couple of years. I've heard it mentioned on numerous occasions by different preachers and by different people. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says this, He has shown all you people what is good. So he has shown us what is good. And then he goes on to say, And what does the Lord require of you? Now, we have to personalize this this morning. I need you to help me. Okay, I need you to help me by giving me your attention. I know you're reading at the moment, but I need you to help me by smiling at me. I need you to help by engaging with me. Okay, so what does the Lord require of you? Personalize it. What what do I need to do for the Lord? Because the Lord's done everything for us, but what does the Lord require of me? And there's much that we could comment on this, but Micah identifies three things that the Lord requires of us. He says this, to act justly. That's so important in, 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 this, in this world. and We haven't got time to open the whole justice debate up. But there's all kinds of injustice that goes on in this world. There's injustice in your workplace. There's injustice in homes. There's injustice in governments. There's injustice wherever we look. In other nations of the world, there is injustice. And God wants us to act justly. To act right with one another. To have a sense of of justice and what's right and what's wrong. To keep our moral bearings in this world. To act justly. He also says to love mercy. And we'll come on to that in a moment. But it also says to walk humbly. It's important that we walk humbly before our God. You know God has got great things in store for Arena Church. Really. I mean really. God's got great things in store for Arena Church. Some of those things, some of you are going to be sent to other places of the world. Some of you may write a book, Phil. Some of you may have CDs produced, worship CDs. Some of you may get a a level of prominence within the nation, within the nations of the world. This church has the potential of being a flagship church in the region and also a catalyst for growth in other parts. God God's got great things in store for Arena Church. You may say, well, have you been taking something Christian? Did you eat too much cheese last night? No, none of those things. I haven't been taking anything and I didn't eat too much cheese last night. But I really firmly believe that God has got great things in store for Arena Church. Every church needs to say that. But I really believe that God is going to use this church, this community of people to do great things for God. So that demands that we walk humbly. That demands that we keep our feet on the ground. That demands that we keep close to one another. That demands that we, you know, uh, 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 embrace correction and rebuke when necessary. Because the reality is, we all have a tendency to go and run off in all highfalutin ideas and thoughts. And God wants us to walk humbly before him. So uh, to act justly and to walk humbly, but to love mercy. We're required to act justly, to walk humbly, but to love mercy. This word mercy, without giving you the heads up in terms of the Hebrew, what it actually means in real terms is goodness, kindness, faithfulness. God's asking us to love goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. Now, this mercy, 
it's not passive. Let me be clear, it's not passive. Some people say, well, I like mercy and it's quiet. Well, okay. This mercy is not detached. And it's not unemotional. No, this mercy that we're talking about, that I'm talking about, coming from arena DNA, this mercy is active. This mercy is visible. This mercy, mercy is noisy. This mercy is full of passion and full of emotion. I actually think if you want to understand what I'm talking about, you just need to come into my home. What I mean by that is you'll see act, action, you'll see, see visibility, you'll see plenty of noise. Okay, plenty of noise. We've just had new neighbours come in and I'm wondering if we drove the neighbours out. Uh, that was a joke, okay. Um, <clears throat> but um, full of passion, full of emotion. And that is the kind of house that God is wanting to manifest his presence in. And this is what God requires. This kind of mercy. This kind of mercy. Now, as we show mercy, I just want to look at three things. So as we show mercy, number one, we imitate God. I'll move quickly through these. We imitate God, which is incredibly important to be imitators of God. It's quite fascinating And you'll know it to be true in your life, and I certainly know it in my life. But I find my children saying things like I would say them. Which has a very positive effect on one hand, but also has a negative effect as well, if what you're saying isn't particularly good. So I often hear our Eleanor saying, flipping heck, where has she got that from? It's not from a mom, it's from a dad. Flipping heck. And they just imitate our kids, just imitate what we do and what we say. Um, Isaac is renowned for walking into school with his hands in his pockets like this. Well, who is that like? Because if you see me, I've always had a problem. It's called putting my hands in their pockets. I was always told, um, uh, taught by George, never put your hands in your pocket because it looks like you're not ready for work. Well, I understand that, but I quite like putting my hands in my pockets, so that's where they'll stay. But my son likes walking around. You'll see him. Don't make a big thing about it. But you'll see him sometimes just walking like this with his hands in his pockets. And then the other side to imitation, of course, is with three girls, my wife with lip gloss, perfume, and etc. Even Lilia, as a four-year-old, you check her bag. She has lip gloss, she has a brush, and she's putting her lippy on, and she's just imitating what she has seen in the home. So you ladies don't get out of it either if you've got girls. But the reality is in the natural, our children positively and negatively imitate parents. Listen, we are called as children of God to imitate our father. To imitate our father. You say, what has this got to do with mercy? Everything. Because this is what it says. Ephesians 5 verse 1, it says there, if you want to be absolutely clear, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So you may say, okay then Christian, so I've got to imitate my Father in heaven, that's fine. But what is God like? Well, my subject this morning is not talking about the character and nature of God, because that would take far too long than 30 minutes. But just one thing that I want to say, in line with my subject, God is a merciful Father. He is a merciful father. Listen to me this morning. 
your sins, past, life, old ways, God shows mercy towards you. Let me use me as an individual. My, old, my sin, my old ways, my darkest depraved sins that I can think of now, God in his mercy was merciful towards me. He is a merciful God. The reality is we deserved every one of us to be wiped out. I read something, I've mentioned this before, in the holiness of God. But when God says, if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die, what he actually meant by that is, you will actually die. Commentators have said, well, spiritual, no, that was not the context in which God was saying it. God says, if you eat of that fruit to Adam and Eve, you will surely die. But God in his grace and mercy caused there to be a spiritual death, but not a physical death. God is a merciful God. Some of you live under the mercy of God. You remember what you were like and where you are now. And you are thankful every day. But unfortunately, some of us forget what we were. And so we don't rejoice in what we have. And we need to be very, very careful that we don't lose sight of what God did for us through his precious son at Calvary. You see, God is a merciful God. Deuteronomy 4 verse 31 says this, The Lord your God is a merciful God. We're meant to be imitators of him, so he's a merciful God. Lamentations 3 verse 22 to 23 speaks of the mercies of God that are new every morning. I often wake up to that, Pete. I really do. I don't know why. The mercies of God are new every day. It's often in my mind when I wake up in the morning. And Romans 12 verse 1 says this. If you say, well, that's just Old Testament again. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. See, God is a merciful God. The mercy of God was evident in the Old Testament through the sacrifice of blood and goats and lambs. And the mercy of God is evident as we come through the cross, through Jesus Christ. He's a merciful God. And we need to be imitators of God. If you haven't got one of these books, and you still would like one, you need to see Sandy today. We've ordered another few copies because they all sold out really quickly. But I just want to read something that just helps me with this point of imitating God. This is what uh, Dino Rizzo, I think you pronounce it, what he wrote. He said this, when we committed our lives as followers of Jesus, we received not only true and eternal life, but also the very heart of God within us. That's the exchange God performs within every person. With his entire life, Jesus demonstrated this heart of serving. He put it this way in Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. When he moves into our lives, get this, serving becomes part of our DNA. When he moves into our lives, serving becomes part of of our DNA. We can't, really can't ignore it or shove it aside. That would be denying our own hearts because it is now who we are. See, God is a merciful God who just loves to take care 
of the needy and the poor. And we have now received this, this spirit, the spirit of Christ in our hearts. And that is now who we are. We need to be imitators of God. Now, this imitation of, of God only comes out of consecration. And I have a quote that I'd just like to put up there. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender, General William Booth once said. And we need to be people that consecrate ourselves to God and give ourselves to him. And as we do that, he will touch us and we will become more like him. The second thing I want to say is this. We need to identify the need. Not only do we need to imitate God, but we need to identify the need. Now, Matthew 9 is an interesting story. And uh, I I wonder if you'd just turn with me uh, just for a few moments. But in Matthew 9, we see that there are uh, many people um, gathered around Jesus. He's going from town to town. The ministry is in full flow. Success is on its way. And uh, it says there in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The second thing is we need to identify the need. Not only do we need to imitate God, but we need to identify the need. You may say, well, these are so simple. Yeah, mercy is so simple. It's literally about identifying the need. And Jesus was going around from town to town. But when he saw the crowds, something grabbed him. What grabbed him? He saw the need. You see, we must look beyond the crowds and understand the needs. Jesus had an ability to be able to see the crowd, but he was able to see the needs of people's hearts. Now, as we feed the need, okay, crowds will come. I want to say that. As we feed the need, crowds will come to this place. As we feed the need, crowds will come. As we feed the need of men's soul, crowds will come. As we feed the need of people's stomachs, crowds will come. People will come. They'll come to this place. We're seeing that now. There's growth and increase. It was just great to see. On Tuesday, I just asked people uh, to stand to their feet. Those who would recently give their life to to Christ. And there were other people who were missing. There was got to be a good dozen or so people that stood to their feet testifying to the fact that in the last few months, they've become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. God is growing us. God is increasing us. But we must be careful. And particularly as leaders, we need to be careful that we do not um, stay in just focusing on the crowd, but we've got to go beyond uh, that and begin to see the need in people's lives. That means to say we need to operate with great discernment and sensitivity, so we see the needs. Jesus saw the crowd, but he also saw the need. And the need was they were, they were sheep without a shepherd. There was, there was darkness in their souls. They were in need of direction and guidance and help and encouragement. And he saw the need. I want to just talk through just a few things And you won't be able to get all these down. But I really don't want them to wash over you. 
I don't want this to be like another appeal advert that you see on the television. I don't want this to be like comic relief and children in need where you see statistics on a screen. I want you to just understand some of these. And all these statistics come from Global Issues, which is a website uh, that work within all the different organizations. But this is what it says, and I mentioned some of them on Tuesday night. But 3 billion people, there's 6.2, they reckon, billion people that live on planet Earth. So 3 billion people live on less than 2 pounds a day. Two pounds a day. Okay. More than 80% of the population live where income differences are widening. 80%. That's a startling. That's actually more frightening than the three billion. Because that, that tells me that actually this issue isn't getting better. It's getting worse. Because it's widening. Okay. According to UNICEF, 24,000 children die each day. Let me give you an understanding of that. Whilst we are here in this service, uh, if we take, we're here for an hour and a half, 1,500 children in the world will die. Will die. So even as I'm speaking now, there's children dying. Now that brings an emotional response from us. And we actually don't like hearing statistics like that, do we? We, we get a little bit, well, why is he saying these? It's making me uncomfortable. Well, it's meant to make us, us, uncomfortable. Because this is the need that we have in the world today. You may say, well, it's not my need. No, it is our need. Because we're kingdom-minded people. It is our need. It is our, it is our challenge. It is the church's challenge to rise up. It's no good relying on a change of government. I have to be clear. This isn't me being political. It's not a change of government that's going to bring around the changes. It's not different organizations. It's the church of Jesus Christ that needs to rise up in force... And be the power that God has called it to be. Every penny that we need to meet the need, this need here is in this church. It's in your pockets. It's in your bank balances. Every need that we, that, that we have. And anything beyond that, God will bring to us. One billion people entered 21st century. So for all you teachers out there, unable to read a book or sign their name. So it's not just about food it's about actually people's education. There are estimated 40 million people live with HIV AIDS in the year, in the world. Each year, there are between 350 and 500 million cases of malaria. There are 1.1 billion in developing countries who have inadequate access to water, and 2.6 billion lack basic sanitation. Okay, there are the number of children in the world is 2.2 billion. And the number of children that live in adverse poverty is 1 billion. So every second child lives in adverse poverty. And 640 million of those children live without adequate shelter. They have not got a roof, they have not got a home. There are these are the issues. This is the need. And of course, we can relate that to the world in which we live because there's poverty all around us. And I mentioned on Tuesday, it's not just those people who we think, well, they don't live in the smartest houses because actually there's great need in people who live in very smart houses. And there's people who've got needs all around us because there's children who they don't know what to do, what to do with. There's divorces. There's marriages that are separating. There's all kind of abuse happening all around us. There's issues of addictions, drug, alcohol. 
there's vice, prostitution. If Abby um, Spademan had been here today, she just said something to me, and I need to ask permission before I share it, but she just mentioned about the whole issue of trafficking. And uh, I just said to her, well, I'll just ponder these things in my heart. Never really gave it a moment thought. The following day, I was on my phone. I get Sky News. I looked at it. There was a story about trafficking. I thought, that's interesting. And then I was given this copy from uh, the new Re magazine, okay, um, and we see Ben Cooley and his fight for social justice, the rescuer, about trafficking. I thought, the Lord's saying something to me here. I have to say, the Lord is saying something here. Now, I just need to keep praying this thing through because she's, I have Tuesday night, a lady says something to me about this thing. I hadn't given it a thought. The following day, I have a news report that comes through, very strong report, and then I receive a magazine on Friday about trafficking. But the reality is, all around us, there's need. There's injustice. And church, we need to rise and be the people that God has called us to be. There are issues, and they are great issues. But as we were reminded a few weeks ago through Bob Ty, it just takes a little boy on a beach to start throwing one starfish into the sea. And they begin to make a difference. So we identify the needs. We take the example of Jesus. He identified the needs. But it's no good identifying the needs if we don't then do something with it. And my third thing is we need to be inspired to action. Inspired to action. There are some people who, have, who, who, who do these personality uh, things. And, and some of the people that uh, use them, I actually think they use them as great excuses. Okay? So, if you've ever done a personality profile, it actually profiles what kind of person you are. So, those who are really irritable, yeah, it is. It's the excuse to stay as you are. And, and the reality is, those who are a little bit irritable, they say, well, that's because I'm that kind of person, so that's how I am. No, sorry, that's a poor excuse. We need to have the, 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 the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and not be so irritable. Okay? Um, there are those people who are passive, and they're, they're quiet, and they're shy, and they're reserved. And, well, that's what I'm like. No, excuse me. We have the confidence of Christ. We have the confidence of Christ. I'm not talking about being loud. I'm not talking about, you might not ever stand at the front, but not reserved, not quiet, not moody, not sulky. Get, out, get on with it, okay? Get out of it and do something with it, okay? So there's my edge for the morning, all right? And I'll move on. But anyway, these personality profiles, one of them is called an activist. And this is where I want to come to, because if we're not careful, we'll say, well, we'll leave that to the activists. Now, actually, we're all called to be activists, aren't we? What, what was the commission? Go into all the world and make disciples. It didn't say to all you activists who, who are prone to go in, will you go and everybody else who isn't an activist, you stay and pray. It doesn't say that. That's not the Bible. It says, if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, go into all the world and make disciples. So there is an activist heart in the life of the church that says we are going to be inspired for action. We're going to be people who are going to be full of activity. And let me be honest with you this morning. It's beyond the local church. It's far greater than the local church. This is a kingdom issue. God is building his church, yes, but he's wanting the kingdom to extend to every part of the world. Every dark area of the world is wanting the kingdom light to shine. 
Now, many people say, well, actually, I'm only going to do mercy if it benefits my church. So if I get a take from this, then I'm going to do it. And people work like that in the workplace, don't they? They'll only do it if it benefits them, not if it benefits a work colleague. And I'm sorry, that has slipped into a little bit of church at different times. Thank the Lord, it isn't at the heart of the leadership here. It really isn't. And we want to be kingdom-minded because that is what God wants us to be. And we need to be clear that we do these things because we can and because God tells us. We show mercy because we can and we show mercy because God says, Look, this is what I require of you, to love with mercy. And John 4 sums it up beautifully for me. If you'd just like to turn in your Bibles, please. Are you still with me this morning? Uh John 4. And verse 34. This just enforces the point that I've just made. That it's not just about benefiting us, our church. We do it because we can. And we do it because God tells us. And he says there, and and Jesus nails it. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying... It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, those who reap draw their wages. Even now, they harvest the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus was clearly identifying the need to actually get out there and to go and do something. That's what he was really saying. Don't say four months, just get out there and start reaping. But he then went on to say, actually, you know, the argument is, well, how can we reap something if we've not sown it? And he was basically saying, look, there are going to be times when people are going to have gone and done all the hard work. They've done all the turning over of the land. They've sowed the seed. But you're going to walk straight in and reap the harvest. Now, if that is true, what Jesus is saying, the opposite must be true. There are times when this church are going to do a lot of hard work, a lot of slog, a lot of labor. We're going to sow a lot of seed for somebody else to walk in and take the harvest. But we need to recognize that it's not about us. It's about him. This is not a local issue. This is a kingdom issue. And there are times, friends, when we're going to need to work in partnership much more with other churches than we have ever done before. We're going to need to work with other people if they're willing to come and join. And we will come and join them. It's not just about us being the main people, but there are times when we will need to come and help them. But we need to be people that actually are inspired to action. You see, mercy is not a department. It's a character quality. This is where we have to be careful. Mercy is not, although I know at times we call it the mercy department, it's not a department It's a character quality, and it's something that God requires. Because may I remind you again, in Micah 6, verse 8, it says, what does the Lord require of you? It was to love mercy. That means to say that each and every person 
each and every person, each individual, are required to serve, to love, and to help. Now, there are two things I want to say here. First of all, you may say, well, I'm just too tired to help. You know, I understand. I was thinking of an illustration. The best illustration I can do, and I've not been there for a few weeks, so please, no comments. I'm glad Eric's not here because you'll be a lot kinder to me. But when I go to the gym, I um, tend to do my running. What's it called? Cardiovascular things. I do that, and then they give me a weight program. And uh, this, I call him the animal. This, well, I won't mention his name in case he ever gets a... He's, he's an animal, okay. He really, really works me, this guy. And instead of letting me just do some strain, he puts loads of the weights on, and then he says, I want you to do 12, and then I want you to do another 12. So the first 12, I'm pumping them out. I can do that. But then the second 12, I'm tired. Have you ever been there? My shoulders, particularly my shoulders and my arms, and I'm pulling these things out. And I get to about eight, and I just want to stop because I'm so tired. Have you ever done that before? You just need to stop because you're so tired. Now listen, sometimes we're like that in terms of we say, well actually I can't do any more because I'm just so tired. We've sung a song this morning, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Tiredness is not an excuse for inactivity. I'm sorry. We have to learn to wait upon the Lord. We've got to learn to draw our strength from God. Now, I understand some of you here are not up to lifting things like you once were because of your, your, your ages, although Gordon, I think he could still lift pl- plenty. But, you know, I understand that. But what I'm saying is it's not an excuse to say, well, my day's done, I'm now finished. No, that is not the case. God has not called us to live that kind of life. Okay, he's called us to wait upon the Lord and renew our strength. And then there are other people who say, well, how can I? It's not that I'm tired. I'm just so busy. Okay, let me just run you through some things. If I can be really, really uh, edgy with you, because I could say that as well. And there are often times I use that as an excuse. I'm not having a go at you. I've used it. I, I'm just so busy. Okay, so I'm, I'm involved in preaching. Well, you may say, well, that's you pastors. You only work one day a week. Okay. I understand the pun, I understand the joke. I'd love to eradicate that comment, actually, in the church, because those who do it, just let you into a little bit of a secret, it winds the heck up up about those who actually do it, because we understand the demands and the strains of it all, okay? But preaching can take not only delivering, but actually preparing. It takes a a lot out of you. There are meetings that I have, many, many meetings with all kinds of people. Yes, I might be having a Kit Kat while I'm in the meeting, might be having a cup of tea, might look like it's all nice and dandy, but I tell you what, there's something that happens, and you know we've run meetings, I'm not trying to get a pity party, I'm just trying to help you understand, there's depletion that takes place, there's something you just, right, so many, many meetings, okay, visiting, I don't do loads of that, but there are people that occasionally I visit, there's a lot of travelling involved, to and from different places, there's a lot of emails to be sent and received, a lot of things to be read and worked through, Okay, I have a wife. Thank the Lord for my wife. I have one wife. One's enough. And she says one husband is enough as well. I have four children, growing children, adventurous children. Those children like to do things. 
They, they go to school. They have after-schools clubs. They go to things in the evenings here and at, and at school. They're wanting to play with their friends. They wanted to thrash around on the garden. I'm, I'm in a privileged position. They don't just want to play with themselves. They want to play with Dad, and I want to play with them. So there are times when it gets very, very busy. So golf, ballet, running, uh, going to the gym. That's why I'm, you're seeing a, a quite uh, out-of-shape pastor at the moment because I've not been getting there as much as I, as I need to, Okay. Many of you know, I still have interest in business. There are other guys who do far more in there, but that takes up time. Hobbies. What about having a day off? Well, we better not go there, eh, Phil, when, when the last time we did that. So we all have these kinds of lifestyles, and some of you do far more than me. It may not be as responsible, but far more than me. So I understand the demands. Listen. I hope you're not thinking that I'm having a pop. You don't think I'm having a pop, do you? I'm just trying to say this whole excuse of we're so busy. I understand we're so busy. But in the midst of that, is that an excuse for us to do nothing with regards to reaching out with love and show mercy to people? No, it isn't. Because God requires of us to show mercy to those people. And that means, I'm sorry to say, there are times when we're going to be asking people to come and dig gardens. We're going to be asking people to bake cakes. Let me go through it. You may say, well, what can I do? Well, you can cook, you can bake, you can clean, you can dig, you can sweep, you can pray, you can drive, you can carry, you can paint, you can telephone, you can shop, you can encourage. These are some of the things that we need to do in terms of helping people in our church and helping people in our neighborhood and helping people in our community. We must not just sit there. We must do something. William Booth said this, we must work as if everything depended on your work and pray as if everything depended upon your prayers. I've used William Booth, there's three quotes. There's one quote that I do want to come up at the very end, if I may. Because he was just an unbelievable reformer. And we understand where, where he, we are. there's a statue of him, isn't it, in Snenton? I think there's a statue of him. Just an unbelievable life that the man lived. And he understood the dynamic of a man's soul. And that's where I started. A man's soul and a man's stomach. Just a fascinating life. And there's some of you who have come from Salvation Army backgrounds. You know far more about it than I do. But I just think he's a real hero of the faith. And I conclude with one of his quotes, if I may, if it's up there. And this is what it says. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, where there remains one dark soul, without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. That was General William Booth, the end of his very last speech. I believe there lies, therein lies a man who was utterly committed to the cause of acting justly, loving mercifully, and walking humbly with your God. I believe the greatest example of this is our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, who was just amazing. He was just merciful, he was kind. He was faithful, 
and he was gracious to everybody that he came into contact with as long as they weren't Pharisees and Sadducees. He had no time for religious nonsense. But people who were genuine sinners, genuine people who'd made lots of mistakes, he loved and cared for, even when he was left high and dry in the Garden of Gethsemane, even when they all disowned him and all ran away from him, Jesus was still full of mercy and love to these brothers. What a God we serve. May we be imitators of God in everything, and may we show mercy to those people that we come into contact with. I wonder if we just stand to our feet. I want to pray.